are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Play Not Pause is proud to be sponsored by Noon Hydration in 2021. I have been a huge fan of Noon for well over a decade. They have products for immunity, recovery, getting a good night's rest, and I absolutely swear by their Podium series, which include branch chain amino acids that are super important for women during and after menopause. So show your support and head over to noonlife.com. That's noon, N-U-U-N, life, one word. And use the code FEISTYMENOPAUSE, again, one word, with a capital F and a capital M, for 30%, yes, 30% off of all of Noon's amazing products. Again, noonlife.com, use the code FEISTYMENOPAUSE, with a capital F and a capital M, and get 30% off of anything you want. Check it out. Hello, strong, feisty women. First, a little news. We're the number one sports podcast on iTunes in the Cayman Islands, which, well, I don't really know what that means, but I thought it was pretty fun. And seriously, I'd like to take a minute to thank everyone for the ratings and the reviews. We've had a bunch lately, and it's been really great and very appreciated. More sponsors are noticing that there's a large group of underserved women here, so we are being heard. Thank you again. Keep doing what you're doing, sharing on your socials, and rating the show. It's working, and it's very appreciated. So this week, I sat down with Gail Bernhardt. Gail is a two-time Olympic coach in both cycling and triathlon. She is also a 14-time finisher of the Leadville 100 mountain bike race, which anyone who has done that once knows that's quite a feat. Gail is also the co-author of a book titled Become a Fat-Burning Machine, which is about the benefits of both eating more fat and training to burn fat, which is what we really dig into here. Being an athlete herself, Gail has pretty much tried all the diet trends. Early in her career, like many of us, she went low, low fat, which also, like for many of us, was a disaster. She also tried then going really high fat for a while, as many of us have and some still are, and that didn't really work out either. Today, she has settled in a space of macronutrient flexibility, which if I had one wish, it would be to encourage everyone to try. She eats lots of fruits and vegetables and whole foods and goes easy on the refined carbs and sugars, but doesn't shun them. It's just a moderate, healthy approach. Because when we go to extremes, our performance often suffers. There's pretty solid evidence that your body adapts to what you give it. So if you're always at one end of the spectrum or the other, whether that be fat or carbs, it's going to be harder for you to access the other when you need it. Eating at those extremes can also be bad for our health, even when we are training a ton. Gail has a lot of thoughts on that, especially following the death of a friend of hers at Leadville who died of a heart attack on course, who 
I learned as we were chatting before we started recording that I had actually met a couple of years prior at Leadville when I was there with Rebecca Rush for her book signing that I'd helped her write. He had me sign a book for Gail. Uh, He bought it for her and she shared that with me on the show. And wow, it is a small world. Anyway, I bring that up because she references it on the show. Finally, we talk about one of her favorite training tools, the Miracle Interval, which I am a huge fan of. These are very short, all-out efforts lasting 45 seconds or less with very long recoveries of about four minutes, sometimes more. They really boost your speed and your power without trashing you. And they are really good for menopausal women because they help improve insulin sensitivity, which is something we struggle with as estrogen declines. So I would encourage you to give them a go after you listen to the show. I'll put a link in the show notes so you can check them out. And well, that's enough of me. On with the show. start this podcast thing oh i started this in october it's very oh. new it's very oh. new you know so i raced uh, all through my 40s really i didn't start doing things with rebecca and all that stuff like racing mountain bike stage races in south africa and such until i was 40 and then we mm-hmm. spent like all those years just sort of racing around and i didn't know that i was supposed to be too old to be doing all of that i guess you know and i thought I had gotten some hat flashes and stuff, and I thought, okay, you know, this is all manageable. And I, I guess I kind of thought that I missed it, <laughs> you know, and then so I had... like, how old were you when all that started? Like, when you started, like, going, wow. You know, the hot flashes, it's so hard, because Rebecca, I had her on the podcast, and it was really bo- hard for both of us to pinpoint the hot flash thing, because... I often would furnace at night anyway, like from hard training and racing mm-hmm. and stuff. Like I would, mm-hmm. I've always kind of broke out into sweat sometimes at night during those really hard training cycles and yeah. especially during races and stuff. Like that wasn't unheard of. So I didn't necessarily put two and two together. And I was also waking up in the middle of the night with pounding heart and feelings of impending doom but I'm kind of a catastrophic thinker anyway so I was like maybe it's just because my daughter was you know hitting her middle school and teenage years so it's hard to tease out that stuff I just thought that I was just waking up not knowing that those were all perimenopausal symptoms like I didn't know that waking up in the middle of the night was a thing like when your hormones start doing this wacky thing that it can really mess up with your sleep so I didn't even think about that it wasn't until like literally I was like 48 ish 49 and I looked in the mirror and I was like where did my muscles go what is happening to my body composition like it felt like a switch it really felt like a switch and that's when it I can pinpoint that like that age was like 48 49 that I was like okay like now I know what this thing is and I need to start like understanding what's going on and and trying to work with it because I'm writing another book with Stacy I'm like I really need to understand what's going on and you know it just occurred to me like nobody talks about this I've known so many menopausal athletes like myself you know like women I've been racing with who are same age little older little younger but all in the same bracket and nobody talks about it and as soon as I started opening my mouth I found like wow this is something that a lot of women are struggling with in the athletic space and there's nothing. 
And I had this opportunity to, you know, I met these women at Live Feisty and they wanted to get into the menopause performance area. And I was like, you should have a podcast. And they said, do you want to do it? And I said, yes. And that, and that was it. And here we okay, are. Okay. That that's great. Yeah, yeah, that's really great. Yeah. So, and it's been great. It's been, it's been, uh, you know, I learned something from every episode and just, you know, women are super grateful just to be hearing themselves, hearing, you know, their issues, hearing themselves represented, which is something I just want to change the conversation. Like, unless we talk about it, like, it's like anything. It's like, it's like baking cakes. You know, I mean, unless you talk with somebody like your cake fell. Why did my cake fall? I don't know. You Google, you can't figure out why your cake fell. You know, so you start talking to other bakers and they're like, oh, you need to da da da. It's very much the same in my mind. Like, we just need to share stories. And how young are you now? I like that you asked that question. <laughs> I am 51 years old. Okay. Okay. So, and I will be 52 this month. Oh, so. wow. Happy, early happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. yeah so, um, so, yeah, here we are. And, and it's funny, like, I, I have read uh, your book, the uh, Fat Burning Machine book, and I just picked it up again before our conversation, and I never knew that Stacy wrote the foreword yeah. to that book. Yeah, it was um, when I started down that exploratory path, it was in 2014 Mm -hmm. that I started kind of working on the book and and it wasn't a thing back then. Of course, what was not burning, uh, uh, eating a high fat diet. Mm -hmm. Uh, Really, the only people that were doing it were the crazy ultra endurance runners mm-hmm. and I had followed them for a couple of years maybe I was one of those lurking people I would lurk on the side um, and just because I was curious about I, I had heard rumors about what they were doing and and so I, I started following some chat rooms and I tried the this you know the super high fat diet myself and it just didn't work for me. Super I high fat being like 70% plus, right. like that kind of thing. Okay. Right, mm-hmm. right. But I still followed um, the runners' blogs. And, and then uh, Mike Berland, the, the person that co-wrote uh, Fat Burning Machine, contacted me and asked me to train him for Ironman. And he said, can you do that? And I said, well, yeah. And he said, oh, by the way, I have uh, uh, metabolic syndrome. And I had not heard of it at that point. And so when I started looking into metabolic syndrome, this this concept of a high-fat diet in the athletic world was like over here somewhere. And I started to wonder, like, well, now wait a minute. Can I, can I control his insulin issues with fat-burning concepts, keep his athletic performance high, and not let his metabolic syndrome get out of control mm-hmm. because he was one of those guys uh, that when he started to train for New York Marathon, he'd gain 10 or 12 pounds mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. he would start eating more carbohydrates. It's fairly common. Yeah. And it, at that time, I didn't realize it because mm-hmm. it's, what, seven years ago now. And, and the more I started asking people about, you know, problems and issues and during doing research I was shocked at how common it is that people were gaining weight while training Mm -hmm. so I thought man this 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 thing about 
eating a high carbohydrate diet for athletic performance obviously doesn't work for everyone. Mm-hmm. It is, certainly it can work for some, but something's going on here where it's not uh, working for people. And in tandem with all this, um, the very next year, 2015, uh, I, I lost one of my best friends at Leadville 100. He he had a heart attack during the that event. That was your friend. That was my friend. And that's the that. guy who had you sign the book for me. Oh, you're kidding. No, 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 no. And he's oh, the one who, well, yeah, he's okay. the one who got me into Leadville 100. Like, like I was training him for it. And he said, oh, yeah, you should come do it with me because you're doing all the training for me and with me anyway. And so, you know, the the first time I did it was, you know, back, I don't know, t- 2005, maybe. Um, and so that, you know, we kind of did it as buddies and we ended up being friends. And, and I, I you know, we were long I was childhood friends, actually, with his older brother. So he ended up becoming one of my inner circle people. Long story short, I knew him really well. I mean, I knew his dietary habits and and all that. And uh, in 2015, when he had his heart attack and subsequent death, uh, the family allowed me to be part of the process of discovery. Like, how... This guy's 55. How can this happen? And and it turned out that he had severe heart disease, that uh, particularly um, atherosclerosis mm-hmm. in in the Widowmaker. Mm-hmm. You know the the mm-hmm. artery, the descending the yeah LAD. And mm-hmm. and so I I said you know here's a guy who's eaten low fat his whole life, and eaten a you know the the athletic high carbohydrate diet and and I started just putting all this together and saying I don't believe the high carbohydrate diet is good for everyone and uh, can you define high carbohydrate diet for people just so they know what you're calling yeah that's a good question um first of all I will have to self-confess that when I was beginning my path into athletic adventures for endurance sports I took carbohydrate loading you know seriously mm-hmm. and, and I was eating sometimes 80 percent carbohydrates you're not which is a lot yeah. it's, it's ridiculous but yes uh, and, and you know and fat was evil and mm-hmm. and I uh, you know I had I lost my menstrual cycle during that time and and I couldn't sleep during the night and I was in my 30s you know and, and I was constantly injured. And so, you know, this would have been back in, in 1990, early. No, that early, sounds about the, the high carb, low fat. Yeah, er, early 90s. And, and so I, I think this is an important point for your listeners. And that is, I knew something was wrong. Mm-hmm. I I said, look, Gail, you know you you're you're gaining weight while while training. You f- you you feel bad. This this is supposed to be healthy for you. You can't sleep. You've lost your menstrual cycle. The the 
recommendations that are coming out of mainstream press are not working for you. You've got to go figure out something else so that you can optimize first your health and then, then you can worry about athletic performance. And so what I would say to everyone is, is I don't care what I'm saying today or what anyone else says in a column in a magazine or a book. If you follow that and you feel terrible, don't do it. Figure something else out. So bring it you back to, to your friend that you were talking about and his, his diet. Yeah, so his diet was, I would say, you know, just roughly guessing, he ate a standard uh, 65% carbohydrate diet, which he, you know, he's an analytical kind of guy and would like to track his nutrients. And, and at that time, uh, really up through his his athletic career, which was primarily bicycling, he did some Ironman events, uh, but he did Leadville well, the year that that we lost him was his 19th year. And so he planned on doing 20 and getting the big buckle and, and then had other plans. But um, so I said, how is this even possible that someone goes to their doctor two or three weeks prior to the event, gets a clean bill of health, uh, no real family history, of heart disease, uh, you know, blood pressure, cholesterol, all that were were with unacceptable ranges, and he and he has life threatening and horrible heart disease. Like, how can that happen? And what's going on? So the more I investigated carbohydrates and their effect on the body, and inflammation, and what causes heart disease, I became more and more convinced that there's there's people that are um, in, uh, in insulin intolerant uh, that they they can't they just can't tolerate high carbohydrate diet even with generous amounts of exercise mm-hmm. and so for for those folks eating even a 65 percent carbohydrate diet is probably not good for them you know uh would scott have been better off eating like the fat burning machine diet which is you know between 40 and 70 percent fat i mean much above 70 you're getting into a keto what i consider a real keto diet right right but ketosis certainly happens in a range as you probably know and and um I did some testing in a study at Colorado State University that actually looked at heart disease and endurance athletes. And during that time, I had the opportunity to uh, do a do a test to look at whether I was actually in ketosis. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I was in what Jeff Volk calls nutritional ketosis. So I think to your point in an email that you sent earlier athletes tend to go for extremes like yes i'm going to be keto at 70% fat or i'm going high carb at 70% carbs and i think um i think there's a range of acceptability that pr- promotes optimal health and performance 
And sadly or goodly, uh, you know, on the good side, you've got to figure out that for yourself, for your own body. So you have to do the health tests to say, you know, where is my health? And, and there's insulin sensitivity tests that your doctor can do that says, you know, I, I'm, I happen to be a lucky slob and, and I'm highly insulin sensitive. And so I could, I could probably eat more carbohydrates than I do at this point in time. But I'm like, what, why would I do that other than pleasure? Uh, everyone loves chocolate and, you know, all the, well, maybe not everyone loves chocolate, but everyone has a sugary treat things that um, they enjoy. But I asked myself, like, you know, what am I, what am I trying to do here? And I come back to health first. You know, I want to be a healthy person that can be functional well into my 80s, like my mom is. I mean, she's 83, still gets up and down stairs, goes walks. And um, so, okay, well, I want that. And then secondarily, I, I love endurance sport. I just love getting out and doing long stuff for the pleasure of it. If I enter a race here and there, then that's great. But um, really, I I train so that I can, at a moment's notice, go out and do some long mm-hmm. adventure that's fun. I mean, yep. that's really why I train these days. And it makes me feel good. You know, yeah. I love it. Yeah, so. no, I think you hit on so many important points. And I just want to, like, tie them up in a little bow because it's important. Um, especially this audience, like as you, you likely know, is as our estrogen drops and we reach menopause, like insulin resistance becomes more of a problem for a, for a lot of women. So the carbohydrate issue becomes more of an issue. But the the fear that I that I have sometimes and that I see and and that I experience myself honestly is like so I I think that you can get to this place where you become phobic, right? Just like we became fat phobic, we can become carb phobic. And, you know, I went to that sort of place where I was racing and I was trying not to eat so many carbs and like my blood sugar, like my inflammation was up, my blood sugar was up, I was all out of whack, you know, and and I went to see, uh, you know, a performance doctor and he was like, you need to eat some carbs, (laughs) you know, like you like you really like you'll do better if you and and it didn't take much. It was just balance. It was really just balance, you know, so it was really just like. You know, picturing the plate, it's like a quarter of it is protein and a quarter of it is like some sort of carb and then half is fruits and vegetables or whatever the, you know, whatever it looked like. But it was just a very balanced thing. And I felt worlds better. Like my moods were better. I recovered better. You know, you probably you probably go for the low glycemic index carbs and for your listeners, the the slow digesting ones. Yeah, yeah. So when you're most of the time, unless, unless you're, I'm on my and, bike and I'm like, my God, I need you know sugar right. at the very moment. I'll take it in any form. Yeah, yeah, and that's that tends to be when I eat the the sugary stuff is mm-hmm. either either on the bike or or immediately after. And if, you know, I I don't uh, obsess too much about having sugar on occasion. I I I mean I want. I want to enjoy life. I mean, I I want to enjoy things and and whether it's chocolate cake on a birthday or whatever, I don't want to have to think, oh my God, is this going to poison me? And 
And I feel like people that are the keto folks, uh, I think that diet is probably for a certain personality as well as, uh, you know, if you really need to go that hardcore with a high fat diet, then, then fine. But, uh, yeah, to your point, it's, um, several people have lost performance and felt bad by, by really severely cutting out all the carbs. And so I think you can, I would rather think about it as being able to shift gears. Like I want you to be a fat burner when you need to be and Mm -hmm. supplement with a little carbohydrate. And because we have to, when we switch to a higher fat diet, it takes a while to build the enzymes to be able to process the fats. Mm -hmm. So it, I would like people to be able to, to switch gears and have, have the ability to be in fat burning and also burn carbohydrates as well when you want, when you want it for performance reasons or, or, you know, even so that people don't get a giant sugar rush when they eat, eat a higher carbohydrate food, but. You you asked about um, the miracle intervals and that are in the fat burning machine book and why those are important and it, this seems like a good time to talk about those a little bit. Yeah, so th- those those intervals. So you like throughout this whole book, you're talking about like how to optimize your fat burning, right? Like right. Um, and part of that, of course, was the diet, but like a large part of that is these what you've deemed these miracle intervals. So you can talk about like where did you come up with that and and what what they are and what they do yeah the miracle intervals uh are an interesting backstory uh they i came into those uh gosh i'm i don't re- even remember the year it was probably maybe even 10 years before fat burning machines so around 2000 it was early 2000s. I had a, um, a road racer. I was coaching a road racer in Kansas. And in December, he was on a big group ride. And a dog ran in front of the group. And he happened to T-bone the dog, go head over heels, and he busted his collarbone. Mm-hmm. And, and so people with broken collarbones can't lift weights. Right. They can't be outside on an outdoor bike, uh, much intensity is uncomfortable in terms of threshold. And he had a goal to do uh, an event in California. Now the the name escapes me, but it's a hundred mile road race out there in February. So he said, oh, I still want to go out there and do it. And and so I said, okay. Uh, my first concern, because he was a 50-plus athlete, and I didn't want him to lose leg strength. And so I was concerned that without weightlifting, he was going to lose leg strength. So I asked him to do 30 seconds all out, just as hard as he possibly could on his, uh, at that time it was a compu trainer, an mm-hmm. indoor trainer. And then I wanted full recovery, because in my brain I was thinking, strength training and then on the other days he would do aerobic workouts and Mm -hmm. and so we did that 
work out once and occasionally twice a week going into this event. And so I said, you know, look, I, I want you to go for it. Like right out of the gates, you, you produce as much power as you possibly can. Don't hold back. And I expect on your power profile, I expect by the end of the set, your power should be decreasing because you're going all out from the get-go. And full recovery was four and a half minutes. So he really, and I said, recover. Because if you're, if you're trying to be up at threshold, you're not recovering. And, and I'm looking for strength. I want strength on the bike. So we did that, and probably two or three weeks before the event, I, I don't remember exactly now, he was able to get outside, and he was able to do a few threshold workouts, maybe definitely less than a handful, and a few longer rides. And so, you know, I did the coaching thing of, don't worry about performance, you've been injured, just go out and have fun. And he, he did that, and he was within five minutes of his best time. And I thought, this is bizarre. This is <laughs> So I, I did some research on it, and at that time, there was some decent research that those type of intervals could improve lactate threshold power, even though they were, like, wildly different. And so I thought, oh. Well, I'm going to start using these with everyone so that I can push up lactate without having to trash people's legs. Because he was certainly tired by the end of it, but not like when you've done a big set of threshold intervals. People are just wrecked for days after that. If they do them right, they just feel bad. And so I had this theory in my brain that, that okay, if I can get threshold up without the expense of threshold intervals and and the blood waste uh, generated by doing threshold workouts, then maybe I could, you know, sort of cheat the system, so it were. So then fast forward to my Ironman athlete, Mike Berland, who, who's, who's got metabolic syndrome, well, how do you burn, how do you tear through uh, glycogen in your muscles? And that's threshold workouts, right? I mean, right. you're just tearing through the, the glycogen. So I, th I thought, okay, well, how can I keep his power up, keep his threshold up? Because he's got, he's got um, a d uh, time, time deadlines to make for Ironman. You can't just go out like and tootle around train like he did for a marathon. Just right, right. And go. just do a six-hour marathon and whatever. Yeah, who yeah. cares? Yeah. But now you're talking Ironman, so there's cutoffs. Yeah. yeah. I So I have to keep his strength and speed up without, in my brain, thinking that, I, that he was tearing through glycogen and then force that weight gain again. And because I saw he would it as need a, to be eating more sugar instead. Yeah. The idea. Okay. Yeah. So I was thinking, okay, well, if I can keep his long workouts more aerobic, mm -hmm. so that he could not eat much sugar. I mean, he right. could eat some, but not much. And then work on his threshold with these miracle intervals and and limited threshold 
intervals, I had a theory that it would work. And, and it did. So then I thought, well, now that's interesting. And, and I, I started to look more into uh, insulin sensitivity and these, these high-end power workouts with generous rest, um, not like the uh, Tabata intervals, 30 on, 30 off. Right, I wanted even like 20, 40, like all of that. This is much yeah, more rest. Yeah, I want big rest bec- because I want big power output. And, and What happens research- during that rest period, do you think, that so, is enabling so, that? Ah, uh, I think it just it it just allows your system the time to recover, regenerate uh, stores, glycogen store, ATP. ATP. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that you can go hard again without being always up at that that limit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I you know I don't know that anyone's actually looked at that, but um, do you think it spares you know, glycogen? I th- I do, yeah, okay. yeah. Because you're you're only going thirty seconds, so you're you're not busting into the as opposed to like a fifteen eight to twelve minute interval, exactly. Right. Or even an interval that you're doing, you know, five minutes on, one or two minutes off. Right. You're not. It, it's not very long to recover. Or, right. at, you know, at at that time when I was doing these miracle intervals with the uh, the cyclist the the uh, love of all cycling coaches was two by 20 minutes yes. that was at threshold <laughs> yes. it was like oh so hard and, two, and literally so hard. I almost never did that with people because they couldn't main I wanted them to be able to maintain high power and, and some of that comes from my swimming history you don't send long distance swimmers out to do these gigantic long intervals all the time because they can't keep their speed their average speed up and so I wanted average speed to stay high and with Mike I thought okay well you're not you're not burning glycogen so you're not triggering that insulin issue and as it turned out it it worked and then there's been recently in the last what since 20 maybe 15 16 there's more research that yeah those those intervals are beneficial to helping uh, in improve insulin sensitivity and in addition to that back to the original reason I use them strength and power because as we age as as menopausal women and anyone 50 plus you got to keep your strength up and your power up and um, I'll pick on women more than win, uh, more than men in this comment and that is when a group of women go out to ride together they are less likely to put in these big efforts these big power efforts because they don't want to leave anyone behind and they're afraid of hurting feelings and those kinds of things where the guys will put in some of those efforts doing well because you have more than two guys on a bike ride it's a race i mean like exactly we know that (laughs) exactly and so 
I've found that for for women group rides or for mixed groups, miracle intervals are a way to have everyone get some intensity and the ability to regroup. Because I tell people, even on my own group rides, you know, at at the yellow, you know, caution sign, everybody's going to go as hard as they possibly can for 30 seconds and then we'll regroup. And depending on what kind of road it is, I'll string them out and have people go one at a time or or more than that. Um, or, Or send the slower riders first and then the goal is to stay away for 30 seconds. And so it makes it fun for everyone and then we regroup and nobody has to feel bad helps your insulin sensitivity and and maintains strength and power so you know i just love those things i love those high-end efforts like that yeah and and there's so many i like you know when you first introduced them to me i really enjoyed them because unlike doing like 20 seconds on and 40 seconds off or tabatas or any of those shorter uh, rest periods, it's just it lets your head reset a little bit. Like so, it's not it's not such just a pure misery fest, right? You know, I mean, you go, you know, it's just like thirty seconds, maybe forty, like whatever. But you can go really, really hard, and then you're going to get like this great full recovery. And I think so. That your psychologically, brain, did, it, yeah. I was going to ask, did your brain feel like, yeah, I can do another one of these at the end of yeah, the recovery? Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Like it was, I found it very pleasant, actually. Ah, good. It. Yeah. And it and it's a good way to use your trainer time, too, because it's, uh, you know, when you do it properly and if you do several sets of those, I mean, it takes up 45, 50 minutes, right? By the time you warm up and do your sets, like, but you've really gotten something in. And to your point, you don't feel destroyed. You don't feel it's not it, this. The stimulus is different. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So let's, so let's, let's, well, before we leave that, like, how often do you have people do those in a week? Like twice a week? Once a week? Uh, Generally not twice a week for most folks. It depends on the season and the type of athlete, but generally once a week, all year round, I'll have them do those, some version of those, even if it's, um, uh, beginner or introductory miracle intervals where you start with more power and then then by the end of the interval i want you going all out but you're going all out for maybe five or ten seconds of that and and those are are good to get people into them and and figuring out limits and testing limits and i tell people who cares if if you go all out produce really high power on the first three and you crap out at the end who cares no one cares just do it and explore. They're fun way to explore your your limits. And so, can you do these in other sports? Yes. Okay. Yep. I have people do them running. Swimming is a little bit uh, harder, but you can still do all out uh, twenty five yards or or even or even half a a pool length to to get your speed up, but master swimmers are notorious for going long and slow so i like them to get in there and and produce some speed and power like get after it every once in a while and so then when you start doing one of those workouts in every sport for a triathlete it gets a little trickier 
But at the same time, they don't trash you like the threshold intervals. So uh, on rare occasion, a single sport person, I've never done twice a week with a runner, but I will with a cyclist if they're really confined to be inside and, and we want to keep it fun and interesting, then I'll do it twice a week with cyclists, but yeah. So let's, let's circle back. Cause I, I feel like, you know, this was great, but we talked a little bit at the beginning of this about, um, gaining weight while you're training for long things. And I, I, I want to finish that, that thought because it does happen a lot. And, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Sometimes I think it's a product of low energy availability. Like women are not fueling themselves appropriately, you know, and, and putting themselves into this always stressed out state. You know, I, I've, I've sort of seen that happen. Or what I think I've heard you say, just over carbing and having problems on that end. So what what did you dis- have you discovered is going on when people are training for a marathon, training for an Ironman, whatever it is, and the weight is going up and that seems so counterintuitive. Yeah, that's a good question. It's, it's easier for me to show with a little, uh, picture, but, but think of, think of your cells. Like, uh, if you close your fist and, and think of that as a cell and your cell has these little receptors on it that go and, and unlock the door for insulin to come and attach and, and allow energy, uh, glycogen, to get in into the cell. And so someone who's insi- insulin sensitive will, they have a lot of in, uh, receptors and the receptors are opening the door and saying, yeah, come on in, uh, carbohydrates, we're happy to have you and we'll, we'll fill up with, with energy and everything's good. Someone who is insulin resistant, let's, let's say, you know, just as an extreme example, what if 50% of their receptors aren't working? So the doors, the doors is not opening on 50% of the cells, but they're eating the same number of carbohydrates as the insulin sensitive person. Insulin sensitive person, sugar goes into the cell, cell uses it, produces energy, everything's good. The person who's insulin resistant uh, sugar's knocking on the cell, can't get in, no place to go. Well, you, ca- you can't build up sugar in your bloodstream because it's dangerous. That's diabetes. And so your body says, well, got to do something with this, so let's send it to fat storage. Yep, yep, gotcha. And so the, the more people are working out, the more they're fueling with carbohydrates, the cells aren't able to use them. They're feeling low energy, so they're doing more carbohydrates and and carbohydrates are getting turned away at the cell and and shuttled off to fat and and so what you're trying to do with like miracle intervals is you're trying to get those little receptors to be more receptive you're trying to get them to be insulin sensitive again where they want to invite insulin to lock in and and allow the carbohydrates to be used so I, I don't know if that is is what you were looking well for. no I mean I think it answers the question that if, if somebody is you know and again menopausal women are tend, trend that way is more insulin resistant than when they end up with all of that 
un unused carbs because the carbs have not gone into the cells floating through the system they're more likely to store it in fat is what i'm is what I'm yeah doing. they have to right? they ha- that that sugar's got to go somewhere because if your blood sugar keeps elevating your body's smart and it's like no we know this is hey this is going to kill you so we need to do something about it and so we're going to go send that fat storage that that you can probably use sometime later but then if you keep eating the carbohydrates you just keep in that cycle and then the people that say well i just need to eat fewer calories which was me mm-hmm. when I first started in this endurance thing. And and I was eating like twelve or 1,300 calories a day. Which is nothing. That's nothing. No. And it's crazy, but that's what the magazines were saying to oh, do, no, right? no, It's nothing. And, and so then I compounded the issue with slowing my, my metabolism down. And, and we see that uh, more recently with the people that were on the show – um, biggest loser, and we follow those people after the show who did extreme calorie restriction, and and they've like turned down their metabolism so they can't eat as many calories as before. So for people who are postmenopausal, this is a huge issue because you you want to fire up your engine, you want to burn calories you don't want to slow metabolism down and you want to increase your not only your fat burning but your ability to change gears and use the carbohydrates that are available at the times when they are available so being a flexible human i think is optimal Mm -hmm. to be able to use all those fuel sources so have you landed in a more moderate range across the board for your macronutrients? Like what would you say that you take in now? Wow, that's a good question. Uh, I tend to, uh, you know, that's a great question. I tend to eat most, I would say, very similar to the Fat Burning Machine book. I probably uh, allow more carbohydrates in my diet now than I did before and and you know being a cheating human I think the reason for that is is when I found out I'm insulin sensitive I thought well you know I can add a few more carbohydrates in so I would say like like percentage wise where do I think my my fat and carbohydrates are oh man I don't even I don't even know how to wage a guess uh, I, I do try to eat the, the low glycemic index. I still don't eat a lot of sugars, right? like uh, refined sugars. I don't eat a lot of refined carbohydrates. Uh, I will on occasion. And the treat times are either family events or uh, after, after a big, long training ride or a workout, I'll treat to those higher... But you're eating fruits and vegetables, certainly. Oh, yeah. Getting, you get plenty of carbohydrates from fruits and vegetables and other yeah, sources, absolutely. like whole foods. Whole like, foods. Yeah. Like this morning, uh, uh, I had, you know, yogurt and granola. And there's there's a fair number of carbohydrates in, in that. Yesterday was uh, scrambled eggs, avocado, 
and cheese slices. So that's extremely low carbohydrate and high fat. So I, I tend to eat what sounds good. It's like, yeah. oh, I don't, I don't <laughs> feel like eggs today. I'm going to have me. granola and yogurt, but... Uh, I do about yeah, the very, same. Yeah, yeah very and I'm not few. trying to nail down percentages because I, I think that I, d I don't like rigidity. I don't like to have... You know, I don't think that's healthy either, but I just like yeah. getting a sense of sort of what what it looks like to just eat in, in a more in between those two extremes that we talked about, like 80 percent of anything or 80 percent of anything. I'm not sure is is a good way to go. Yeah, unless you have some serious medical issue that would right. cause that. And and there's few and far between out there. So I think people would be better served to, uh, like you said, focus on more of a balance and, and even be flexible enough to on some days eat higher fat and some days eat higher carbohydrate without going crazy. I, I think, I do think the worst combination is high fat and high sugar together. You know, the, <laughs> birthday cake <laughs> yeah, yeah birthday cake donuts yeah. uh that kind of stuff i just think like man those are special day treats yeah, yeah. sort of things well, it's like sense. i don't yeah i don't i don't uh, totally avoid them but um uh, yeah i keep them at a minimum for sure so what two questions i guess um what was because i'm curious did you have your own little journey, athletic journey through menopause when you when you hit it? And did you know what was going on and what to do? And do you work with women now who are in that age bracket? Let's see. Right now, I am coaching one woman, or I was coaching last year, one woman who's in that age bracket. And, and we have talked about it some mm -hmm. and figuring out, uh, you know, what, what seems to make things better or worse and it's sometimes hard to figure that out and f for me I we didn't have kids so I don't have any children when I was aware I was similar to you so I'm 62 and and I was done I was par I was postmenopause after age 52 pretty much so I was your like average female and in the, the few years before that, I would occasionally wake up with night sweats that weren't associated with training because a big, a big day on the bike that's hard will still give me night sweats and I'll wake up like, hey. uh, so the phenomena that you were talking about, big training days or, or weeks, like a couple years ago I did epic and and you know like every night I was not sleeping well I was waking up sweating or cold and it's like yeah that's it's a and it's a different kind of feeling to me it was than the night sweats uh, I don't even know if I can describe the difference but when I would wake up with the occasional uh, night sweat and and I never had the sweating thing during the day it just never I'd happened have like me. little episodes where I got hot 
I would say, but it wouldn't be like the night. Like there were some nights when I got the the hot flash night sweats where I it felt like I was projectile sweating. Like I was <laughs> dripping. I was it was dripping down. It was crazy how much sweat was coming down. I was like, this is very different. <laughs> projectile sweating i just have this visual yeah it was yeah so that was the difference Uh, you know honestly i personally got off super easy compared to a lot of my friends the women that i know and some of the women that i've coached uh and i don't know i don't know why the difference is it's a roll of the dice from what i can tell i mean it's i mean you can do all kinds of things to mitigate but everybody you know some women get migraines and like all kinds of really disruptive things um that and i think diet can help with some of it to be careful uh a a woman that i know is pretty sensitive to alcohol Mm -hmm. it seems that alcohol will trigger her to have a, a lot of trouble and that's one of those life choice things like mm-hmm. well do you want to avoid alcohol and feel better or do you want to you know keep consuming alcohol and do this suffering thing and and I can't give anyone that answer right so w- once you start figuring out what stuff makes you suffer you, you choose to make your choices like, <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah we have a lot of women, and I, I don't know if you have any insights here, who, who ask. I've, I've gotten a lot of requests like, how can I find a coach that will understand what menopause is and work with me? And I just stare at them blankly because <laughs> I just don't – I don't even know where to sta- where to take them. I mean, I, I – do you have any ideas of, like, what women can even look for or ask if they're looking for a coach who's going to understand what where they are? I would say just be upfront and honest, and and I I would also say that that uh, choosing a woman with the idea that she will understand what you're going through in menopause, I think, is a false assumption, uh, particularly if you're choosing a, a younger female coach. Uh, yeah, she might understand some things that a man won't, but uh, I think what you want is someone who's willing to dig in and do the work and help you figure it out as a team. And so when you're going to interview a, a coach, and I and I tell people before they ever work with me, like, I want to talk to you on the phone and I want to hear your issues and I want you to hear my comments about how I interact with athletes and my opinion, because this is a really uh, pretty close relationship. And, and you have to know that I'm the right person for you. And, and if I'm not, I'm not offended. And I, I want you to go find the best person for you. And that may or may not be me. And, and so when you go to approach a coach and interview them, I would say just be upfront. Just say, you know what? You know, I'm starting, I'm perimenopause, I'm I'm starting in and I'm having some trouble and and I want to know if you're willing to try to help me figure this out. And I know you're not a doctor and but you're my coach and I need 
and I need some help and I need to for you to understand what I'm going through and if that person's like yeah I don't I don't know I don't I don't want anything to do with that whether it's male or female then you say okay well you know I'll I'll try to find someone else but just be open and honest when interviewing a coach and you'll know you'll know if it's someone depending on how receptive they are to that idea and and helping you and doing the homework to try to help you figure it out you'll know if that's the right person to work with yeah i i i think that's that's solid advice and i and i and i think you are 100 percent correct uh you know, even myself as a younger trainer, I, I kind of cringe sometimes at, at how dismissive I was about menopause when I was younger, because um, I, I just didn't yes. know. I just didn't know. Right. And yeah. I knew it theoretically, but it, I really didn't know. <laughs> so No, yeah, I, I totally agree. Yeah. So I, I, I think, and, and coaching is exactly that, right? Coaching is finding, because we all respond to coaching we all respond to training differently. You know, some people can can do three weeks hard with just one week easy and be fine. Other people need one on, you know, it, it just depends. So even though your circumstances might be un- unique because of menopause, it's still like you are an individual who needs to find training that is working for you at this time. Like, so yep. your coach should be working with you. And, and if something isn't working, then give you alternatives. And it... it that is true all, always, right? That's, that's true no matter where you are in life. No, you're exactly right. It, it's like understanding when kids or a job affect the training program. Right. Menopause is just a thing mm-hmm. that affects the training program. And to your point, we have to figure out what's best for the individual to still make progress and, and have a good time, have fun with the process. Right, because we want to be in this like you said, for a long time. Women, uh, 60 plus, 50 plus, 70 plus, are still out there doing some very active and remarkable things. And so it's never, it's never too late to uh, pick up racing or pick up a new sport or uh, make a decision that you want to do these grand adventures well well late into life because uh there's hordes of great examples out there of women that are doing fun and interesting things late into life and so just don't don't allow yourself to be limited by mainstream media all right that's our show. Join me next week for my conversation with the sleep scientist, Dr. Sophie Bostock. I have been politely hounding Sophie for weeks, probably months at this point, because if there's anything we all need is some solid sleep advice. So I was super stoked when she found some time and was able to sit down with me for a really great episode. You will not want to miss this one. So see you all next week. And until then, stay feisty. You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager, 
The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause, and please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends, and please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay feisty. Stay feisty.